0: hopefully this comes out good. I've been a little out of it for the past few weeks, so um, I pray that it all flows together. (laughs) Um, I had found this passage of scripture a few retreats ago when I was looking up Esau and Jacob, and um, some of it kind of said I have to go back and try to see what was being said in this particular passage. So When I was trying to find what I was going to speak about today, I found that little piece of paper I had written this stuff down. I said, oh, well, let me grab that and let's see what happens. So we're going to go to Genesis 26, verses 12 through 26. And I'm going to read it from the Living Bible Translation, so some of the verbiage may be a little different. Okay, so it reads... That year Isaac's crops were tremendous, a hundred times the grain he sowed, for Jehovah blessed him. He was soon a man of great wealth and became richer and richer. He had large flocks of sheep and goats, great herds of cattle, and many servants. And the Philistines became jealous of him. So they filled up his wells with earth, all those dug by the servants of his father Abraham. And Kim Ambalich asked Isaac to leave the country. Go somewhere else, he said, for you have become too rich and powerful for us. So Isaac moved to Ger Valley and lived there instead. And Isaac redug the wells of his father Abraham, the ones the Philistine had filled after his father's death, and gave them the same names they had before when his father had named them. His shepherds also dug a new well in Gur valley and found a gushing underground spring. Then the local shepherds came and claimed it. This is our land and our well, they said, and argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So he named the well the well of argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again there was a fight over it, so he had called it the well of anger. Abandoning that one, he dug again, and the local residents finally left him alone, so he called it the well of enough room for us at last. For now at last, he said, the Lord has made room for us, and we shall thrive. And he went to Beersheba. Jehovah appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the God of Abraham, your father, he said, fear not. For I am with you and will bless you and will give you so many descendants that they will become a great nation because of my promise to Abraham who obeyed me. Then Isaac built an altar and worshipped Jehovah, and he settled there, and his servants dug a well. So the title I'm working from is Dig Until God Comes Through. I want to remove just a few things from this passage. Firstly, we all need to know where our wealth lies. Some of us have financial wealth. Others have the wealth of peace, the wealth of patience, the wealth of influence, the wealth of personality. When Isaac began to prosper in his God-ordained wealth, the people became jealous to the point they kicked him out of the city. Now, one commentary said that this was the first time in history that someone was banished because of other men's jealousy. It wasn't that Isaac had done anything wrong. That was the normal reason for banishment. It was simply because he prospered and the people were jealous of his God-given prosperity. We must always be aware that our God-given wealth is making others uncomfortable and leading them to jealousy. I will give the king credit for being honest, at least if he was honest enough to say, you got too rich for us, don't like it, you need to go. Now most of us won't come in contact with people who will be dishonest. They will just dismiss us and never tell us why. When you are surrounded with jealous and envious people, they will do all they can to curb your growth. So let's look at verse 15 and it says where they filled the wells with dirt to block the free flow of the water. You must ask in your life who was filling your well with debris so that the water of the spirit is being trapped and not being able to flow freely. But this attempt did not work because Isaac still prospered after they filled his wells with dirt. So they just decided to banish him instead. They realized they couldn't block his prosperity, so his presence alone made them uncomfortable. They had to get him out. Sometimes people will banish you, and other times you need to banish yourself. But we must have the courage to leave. Take note to Isaac's disposition throughout the whole text. He remained in control and at peace with himself the entire time. When you know God is on your side, you must not fight with those who do not have the eyes to see God's plan for you. In verse 17, we see Isaac moved and lived in Ger instead. It was thought to be a nice place. It had prosperity. It had land that was plush. Great place to live. Nothing wrong with Ger. We must realize there's many nice places to live. But we fight so hard to stay where we're comfortable and where we're familiar. Sometimes we just have to go. And you're not necessarily even going somewhere bad. You're just going somewhere new. We fight to stay, but we have to really ask ourselves, why am I fighting to stay here? When am I gaining and staying? You have been told and asked to leave, and yet we complain about our condition when we know the people who are there with us don't want us there. Leave! Stop fighting to stay somewhere you don't belong no more. So here's a little back history on whales so that you can get the significance of what a big thing it was for him really to leave a whale just like that and move on. In those times, wells were thought of as a huge asset. In the desert, the supply of water is, is very, very great as far as the need for it, especially living water, water that's flushing and growing. When a well is named, it is considered your property. So remember that the wells that were destroyed was Isaac's property because they were passed to him from his father Abraham. When you destroy a well, it was considered a conquest. It was almost a military ploy when you went and filled somebody's will with debris. Their hope in destroying the will was to push Isaac out of the neighborhood, but he was like, I'm staying. Now look at what they did. They were willing to suffer the lack of water over jealousy, they were willing to harm themselves just to try to get at him. So they couldn't water their cattle. They couldn't water their stocks. They couldn't water themselves just to try to keep him down. You will hurt yourself to hurt me. That's jealousy. But Isaac left the wells that belonged to him and simply moved to new territory. Now, the digging of a well was a very big thing it was very laborious. The wells were not easy to dig because a lot of it, especially in where they lived, the ground was very, very hard. Now, they didn't have machinery. So you're talking about the majority of this is all done by hand, by the servants, okay? Um, One example of the well was that it was 120 feet deep. 120 feet deep, seven feet in diameter but the water was only 15 feet deep. They had to dig down that far to find living water. So once you found it, that was a, you did the thing. That's why it was such an asset for you to be able to have a well and to name it because it was yours. Also, if it was your personal property, it was another way for you to make money. When then people gave you gifts, and treasures to be able to come and water their cattle, to water themselves, and to get fresh water. So it was no little thing for him to own. That's three wells he dug. Not even talking about the ones his father's at. He had trust that he had something better coming. Now also imagine the fact of how they got the water. If it's 120 feet deep, some of them had steps that walked down into the well. That's how deep they were. And some of them they made a system like a pulley system in order to get the water. So that was just a little history. I just figured y'all should know about the wells and what they really meant. So for him to walk away from the wells that had been dug was, was not a small thing at all. I mean, we wouldn't, we don't work that hard right now. But, you know, as far as labor is work, um, we wouldn't just walk away without a fight. So Isaac, going back to the story. He began to redig the wells of his father Abraham and named them the same as before. It is a good thing to go back to the original meaning of things, to find what it really means. And you know, that this is our hope with these retreats is to find just the meat of the word to get the pure religion of it, and to bless our souls with it. Sometimes we have to dig through traditions, dig through the fallacies of men, the personalities of men, to just find God. But it's worth the dig. Now, know that when you dig, you sometimes will have opposition. We don't like the opposition. As they dug, they found a gushing underground spring. That was really big because that meant the water kept moving. It didn't get stale. It wasn't just sitting there. So we want to make sure that the spirit stays fresh, that it doesn't get stale in our waiting for Christ to return for us. Because it's easy to get stale. It's easy to keep sipping on that same tired glass of water and it's hot, it got little particles in it, and you sipping on it thinking you're going to be refreshed, and you're not. And sometimes the water can get so stale and nasty, it makes you sick. So always go for the fresh flowing water of the Spirit. Now think about just the happiness of the servants when they found this new stream. They were like, okay, Isaac, you want to move? After we didn't dug these, these wells, we'll go with you. So they were excited. They found a whole new gushing. Okay, this is good water, too. This is a good thing. And some of us have moved to new territory. Some of us have found some newness in our life, a new way of being, new territory we're living in. But then you know what happens. The locals came, and they said, what you discovered wasn't yours. What you dug through and got dirty with wasn't yours, and you had no right to it. So the well got caught, the well of argument. At first, we argue, Argue over our new state. Argue over what we want to be argue what we used to be, and we get stuck in this place of just arguments. No peace, just hostility. And we wonder why we're so bent all the time. Because the majority of our interaction is an argument. It's an argument with who I am, who I want to be, who you think I should be. I argue with God. He's telling me to let something go. I'm trying to figure out why you want me to let that go. So we can't stay in this constant battle. We can't stay there. But the well of argument is where some of us just reside. Because everything's a fight, everything is uneasy. And when we start arguing with God, which I don't think is the problem necessarily, because I think it often leads to clarity, but we can't stay there. But we argue about stuff that he wants to bless us with, if we would just let go of the mess he wants us to let go of. But the mess makes us feel good, because I know this mess. I'm comfortable with this stuff. So I'm like, Jesus, if you take this, what will I have left? Who will I be now? And then when you get down to where he starts removing everything, and you're like, you serious? You going to take that too? We need to talk again because something went wrong in here. I can't see the plan no more. I was with you with the first two. Now we're getting kind of in scary territory. But we must do what Isaac did. He left. He left the arguments behind and had faith to believe that when he left, God was going to bless him with something else. Remember that the Bible says that if you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek, you leave where you are. We got to leave arguments behind. So Isaac moves from the well of argument and begins to dig another well. Again, he finds success. But here comes some more folks fighting for what was his. So this well gets named the well of anger. We must not underestimate the anger of others. Jealousy is fueled with anger. Sometimes we underestimate what jealousy really is. Well, the Bible says it's crueler than the grave, but we just say, oh, they're just jealous. Oh, they just kind of have a jealous spirit or they, jealousy is evil. It's an evil thing. And the crazy thing is that people can be jealous over all kinds of things. It's not about wealth most of the time. It's just about any old stupid thing we get jealous over. People get angry because they think you don't deserve what you have and where you are in life. Just estimate this is you. You don't deserve this and you don't deserve no better. Why are you gonna, people be mad just cause you happy. You may be broke as everything, looking tore up, but you just happy and feeling okay and people mad at you. Jeff I mean, jealous over all kinds of things you have a good marriage Ugh. y'all still dating why are you mad about that your kids doing well then they mad about that and it's anger people are angry all those snide comments all the sarcasm you know one definition of sarcasm is the uh, pulling of flesh the tearing of flesh excuse me That's so sarcastic. They're trying to tear your flesh. It's not cute and funny. You're being evil and trying to cover it with a smile. Evil. Please know that when you begin to truly walk in freedom and truth, you will anger people. You will anger people just because you have the courage to leave the foolishness. Because you have the courage to step out on new ground and say, I'm not going to stay there with you no more. Courage to leave the comfortable ways. Because we love our comfort. But when you get the courage to say no more, I've had enough. I'm going to be better than this. I'm jealous of you now. I'm angry with you now. I don't want you to have that. Other success will either push you to your greatness or it will completely piss you off. Either you'll see people doing well and you're like, oh, man, I can get that too. Let's go together. Or you'd be like, oh, now you think you're something. Oh, you've been prospered. Yeah. And then we get to starting to then minimize our greatness because it makes you feel better. Proverbs 27 and 4 says, Wrath is cruel, and anger is an overwhelming flood, but who is able to stand before jealousy? When you have jealousy, arguments, and anger, it is best to keep pushing. Get away from them kind of people. Even the Bible says you can't stand before it. Yet we're trying to stand and fight a fight. That the Bible says you can't stand before it. This is something you can't fight. As the song says, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. Sometimes we need to fold something up and just keep pushing. We also have to be careful about our anger towards God. Because we get mad at him. Mm -hmm. And we get mad at him, especially when we believe that he is the orchestrator of our lives. When we we believe that he, you know, makes our path and his plan as we're walking in. When things start getting ugly, who else shall you blame but him? Though we don't say it out loud, and that's the wrong church thing to do. But deep in our spirits, we're a little angry at the man. We're like, you could have just stopped that from happening to me. You could have switched some things around, but you chose not to. So what is this? Anger is real. Not always a bad thing either. Just has to be controlled. Sometimes we're angry that God won't give us what we want at the moment. You know, we just want to see his hand move. And you're not doing nothing. And we have enough faith to believe you really could if you wanted to. So I'm trying to figure out why you won't bless me right now, Mr. Loving God. What's going on? We get angry when he keeps taking things away from us. It's like I've given up enough. Do I have to give up another thing? Anger's real. We're angry that he won't let us hold on to the stuff that we find comfort in. Because he finds it offensive. And we figure, you know, couldn't you let me get away with it? (laughs) Why are you so offended by that? Again, we must do what Isaac did and we must move from anger. So we have to leave our arguments behind. And we have to leave our anger behind. And we must move. So if we move to verse 22... Again, we see that Isaac abandons this well, the well of anger, and he digs again. Now, you must appreciate his non-ending pursuit of movement. That's a good thing to be able to pick up and keep it going. Because most of us stop. I mean, he was willing not to take anything if it had a fight attached to it. He's like, if I have to struggle and fight for it and beg and plead for you guys to accept me, it's not worth it. I'm going to just move on and believe God got something better for me. For if God is for you, who really can be against you? I mean if we really believe that that God is for me, then I can leave you alone and move on to something else. Sometimes the taking away of something is God's way to grant you access to your further successes and it's hard to see that sometimes because in the moment you're saying why would you take this from me you think about the fact that he dug two wells that were his he didn't have to let them go that easy they were his but he said if I gotta have anger and I have to have argument then I don't even want it. And I'ma believe that your path and your way is gonna be better for me. That is faith, a lot of it. But we must not faint and lose heart. And that's what happens, we get scared in the process. We allow our faith to get shook far too often we allow ourselves to lose heart far too often. And this is how we miss the blessing that's actually right in front of us. Because it's right there in the the next dig, yet we stop. Because I'm full of arguments and anger about what just got taken. We must not pity what has been lost, but see it as a blessing. Isaac did not stop, but oftentimes we stop and we stop for far too long. We have a momentum going, we're doing pretty good, and then all of a sudden a monkey wrench gets thrown in and then we just halt. And not halt for just a reasonable amount of time, because we just humans, so we're going to halt for a minute, but we just get paralysis. It's like we just get stuck and it's like I can't go not another further. So now I'm frozen. And sometimes when you're stuck, it is a great opportunity for your enemy to defeat you. Because you can't move. Paralysis stops you from being able to even dodge the darts that are coming. So the enemy is just whipping us up. Because we don't have enough courage to move. The blessing may be in the next world we need to dig, but we get stuck looking behind at what has been lost. You can never move forward if your attention is always on what's been behind you. If all of our our efforts and our worries and our concern is about what has been lost, how can I see anything in front of me? It is like I'm driving forward looking in my rearview mirror the whole time. You know a crash is about to happen. We ruminate in the stew of the unfairness of it all. Because some stuff is just simply unfair. But as they say, life is not fair. The audacity of others. Because some people are foul. And have messed you over. And you're like, dang, it's like that? Like you would go that low? It's sure. Your- at times the meanness of others. People can be cruel and mean and know what they're doing to hurt you. It won't stop. And everything else we can have a pity party over. You know, because then we can start creating stuff. Oh, I feel bad about all this, all this. You know, then we just, we just get in the process of just being the victim. See, the devil's aim is to steal, kill, and to destroy. We must never forget his aim for our lives. If he can steal your desire for advancement, and you say, oh, this is just how life is. I'm not going to try no more. You know, whatever comes, comes. Then you get to trying to be over-spiritual. Oh, even so, come Lord Jesus. Oh, we're in the last days anyway. It ain't going to get no better. So you, you should just start staying in that. And the devil's like, oh, okay. You think you're quoting scripture, but he's like, no, I done defeated you. I would stole your desire for greatness. Hmm. If he can kill your dreams, that there will be a brighter tomorrow. We always have to have faith that the better is coming. And not just heaven, not just the, but the better it can come today. I have to always be looking for something better. I'll always have to be in the move of trying to find something greater. We're not supposed to sit on our tails and do nothing. How is that in any way praising and blessing God? How in any way are we showing forth the magnitude of God if I'm just sitting on my butt? Wishing and praying and hoping the rapture comes. Where is his greatness being shown? He's a little bigger than that. If you let the devil destroy your ability to pull yourself up and get back to work, he has conquered you. Realize that his conquering is not just making you sin, but he conquers us in all other kinds of ways. We were supposed to be the image of God. We were supposed to show forth to the world the greatness of God, the multifacetedness of God. Is your life really showing forth God? Is it big like that? Can people see you and say, dang, and I'm not even talking about wealth of money. I'm talking about a grand life. But can I see Jesus in you? Can I say I want a piece of him because you're carrying him around? Boot the fact that you can quote the scriptures and you can say come to my building and look at me and I can dress nice and I can talk this way and I can say I'm blessed and favored. But I'm talking about what is your life representing? Is it big like Jesus is big? I mean big like the fact that his feet sit on earth. And the rest of his whole body is the atmosphere. That kind of big. That's the kind of Jesus we have. Do you see him that big? Or is he just the little guy that sits in the box that we've put him in and we say this is all he can do? That he's limited in space and time to touch and bless my life? Or do I see him saying he can do anything with me? that he can really give me the more than I can ask or even think. That kind of God, that's the one I want to serve. That's the one I want speaking in my life. That's the one I need to connect to so that I can rise to the same greatness that he is. If me and him are one, I need to be as grand as he. That's the kind of life I'm trying to get to. See, we have made God too small We've made him just like a little baby Jesus. He grew up. He's not still laying in the crib. He, he got up, y'all. He grew. He started walking and doing miracles, and then he died and went to heaven. And man, he like doing big things. Like you got to expand your mind of how big he is and how much. He really wants to bless us here on earth right now. He really wants us to have fullness of joy, peace beyond understanding. He wants us just to be in this amazement. That's how our lives should look. But most of us don't have it. Yet we're full of the Spirit. Well, what kind of spirit do we really have? Is it really Jesus's? Because if it's his, why aren't we grander? Why aren't we living bigger? Because we think he's as small as we. Which is ugly. But go to verse 22. It goes on to say... Then Isaac dug again, and the local residents finally left him alone. See, there will come a time when everybody will leave you alone. After you abandon arguments and you abandon the anger, you'll go to your next dig, and then you will see that God will make room enough for you at last, room enough for your greatness, for your bigness. For all that he has for you, he's gonna make room. But you gotta dig. And remember, digging is not always easy. Digging is hard work. Digging takes courage. Digging takes you beating up ground that is just hard. Been burnt, it's been sitting there for a long time, some of that ground. And you know, like, when it gets really hot and it's hard ground, man, you be breaking tools and everything else. When we got our house, because they didn't do the backyard, me and him thinking we're going to be great and do our own landscaping, got out there, we had the hole and the pick, and all this stuff. We was, th- this stuff just broke. But that's how some of our hearts are. That's how some of the stuff we're holding on to. I mean, it's hard to dig through that stuff. And we have to help God in the dig. I've got to loosen it up. We want him to do all the work. And he's saying, well, y'all, it's too hard. Do you want it, God? Because I'm really just hitting at it. And y'all like, dang, can you put a little water on it? Can you show a little vulnerability towards me? Can I get some affection from you that you want it gone? So that we can start working this together? I mean, you think about it, like I said, some of the wells were 120 feet deep. Some of us got some deep stuff in us that he has to excavate. I mean, like, Yeah, get out. And I mean, all on the sides got to be cleaned. Not just like a little hole of dirt. (laughs) He wants really where he can walk and move and flow where that water is constantly being able to flow. We're so dirty and got so much debris in us. The spirit goes, but it gets stopped. Because it keeps hitting our junk. So we're wondering why we don't have this, you know, well of water. We said it was springing up into everlasting life. It sounds good when you quote it. But, man, sometimes the well just is like, I get no spring. It just, because i got too much stuff. So I've got to keep digging. When you know that the spirit is not really just moving, and flowing through you, that means you need some to do some digging. And don't be ashamed that you got to dig. We all must dig. It is part of our duty to dig and to clean out where God lives. Remember, he's living in you. His surroundings should be pretty good. But really, where is he living? Would you want to live there? Most of us don't even like who we are. But I'm asking Jesus to stay home with me and not to leave. But I won't even clean up the place for him. I'm like, ah, uh, you'll get used to it, I have. Clothes thrown all over the place, dishes dirty, toilet stained. And you're like, you get used to it. This is how we live. You got to think about it. He's homing you. You got to create the right kind of atmosphere for him. So he gets to the well and he finds room enough for him at last. And he says, For now at last, the Lord has made room for us and we shall thrive. Now, aren't you ready to thrive? Aren't you tired of being stagnant and doing the same old, same old? having the same thoughts, the same mindset, the same heart, the same conditions, don't you want to thrive? Or are you too scared to thrive so you stay with the arguments and the anger so that you don't have to see what success really is? Because some of us are afraid of success. We're like, if I step out there, I don't know about that. I know about failure. That's kind of become my best friend, but success? Doing well all the time? Ooh, I don't know if I want to thrive. And everyone, you know, you want to say, yeah, I want to do good, but do you? Because he did say that, you know, if we're pleasing him and living for him, He'll give us the desires of our heart. Maybe our desires isn't really for success. Maybe it's just for mediocrity. You know, he's not a pushy kind of God. So if all you want is just to get by, maybe that's all he'll grant you, is just to get by, check your desires. We must have faith to believe that God will make room for us in what he has called us to do. You have to first believe you have a purpose. That you're not just here aimlessly. Like God really wants you to do something for him. And whatever you do for him, regardless of how big or small it looks, it's grand because you're doing it for the Grand Master. But do you believe that you have a purpose, that you have a calling, that no one can do but you, that you're that special to him? Because he's gonna make room for you. And I love how the passage ends, because as soon as he did his last dig, that night, God appeared to him. That night, he didn't even take his time, which was so lovely. So nice when God shows up quickly. And he speaks and he says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and will give you so many descendants that they will become a great nation because of my promise to Abraham, who obeyed me. And then Isaac built an altar And worshipped. And he settled there. And his servants dug another well. Now we have the promises of Abraham. We shall not fear. Because God is with us. And he will bless us. But our lives are, are so accompanied with fear. I mean just the little mundane things we're afraid of. He says, do not fear, period. Period. Don't fear. I'm with you. I'm in the front, the back, and the side of you. Why are you scared? And what I want to do is simply bless you. Why do you keep thinking I want to hurt you? I just want to bless you. We must remember to continually build our altars and worship the Lord, though because after he speaks, you cannot stop. Then you must go and build your altars, altars of sacrifice, altars of burnt offering. Because remember, we have to be in continual, the continual process of repentance. That shall never end. We have to continually burn up our junk before God. He likes it. He likes when we throw it on the altar. He actually says when you burn it up, that's the sweet-smelling savior that I I like to smell. Is your mess that you bring to me. But we've twisted it believing that he doesn't want that stuff. Especially when we've done some type of growth, we kinda feel bad that, dang, I'm back at this again. (laughs) I didn't pick that up again. But no, you just throw it back on the altar. And you say, here, God, I give it to you again. This is where I'm flawed. This is where I'm messed up. You take it, burn it up, do what you want with it. And he's like, thank you. And worship. We've missed the worship process. That is just about him, exalting him, exalting his name. Who he is, the greatness of him. I'm just throwing love to God. Just love to him. And you see so much, especially in in the Old Testament, so much worship. So much, you know, the building of altars and worshiping God. We've come to a company to just having this structured place to go and do the same thing over and over and over again that it's lost its influence. I'm not even influencing God with my words anymore. I'm not even influencing him. He's like, you did the same thing last week, and you said the exact same words, and you sang the exact same song. I'm tired of y'all, because that's not from your heart. You're not giving me the trueness of your spirit anymore. It started off beautiful with us. We started off having this love affair, and then what happened? I got structured. So I'm singing him the same sorry love song. And giving him the same sorry poem I gave him 10 years ago. And he is like, are you serious? I mean, you think about if if your husband, every anniversary, said the same thing. You would be like, dude, if you don't come up with something else. I mean, the first year you all delighted and excited. The second year you'd be like, okay, maybe he really meant it. He just really wanted me to know he really meant that. You know, by the third year, you like, okay, you're not really caring no more. We got nothing new. We've had no new territory. We've gained no new ground. You don't know me any better than you knew me two years ago. And that's what we've done to God. He's like, y'all don't even know me. We were supposed to grow and multiply. I was supposed to show you all my heart's desires. I was supposed to give you revelation from my heart. I wanted to give you my eye so you could see what I see. In my mind so you could feel what I feel and understand what I understand. And all y'all want is just nothingness. You want the same superficiality that you started with. And we wonder why we can't find him. And why our lives are so incomplete, because it's void of God. Now, not void of religiosity, but void of the true, pure religion of God. I know we're not supposed to say that stuff, but ooh. We must be in continual digging for the well of water to spring forth in our lives. How big is your gush? of living water? Are you a, you know, just a little psh, Or do you have a geyser? Or are you just like, you know, just a little flush of the toilet? Or are you just a big thing? How big is the spirit in you? Honestly. Because you always gotta check that. And it's very easy to diminish. It's very easy to use God. When I feel low and bad, then I say, okay, let me do a little prayer. Make sure I feel it. Get a couple of tongues rolling off my tongue. And then I'm like, oh, okay, he's here still. But how big is that gushing? Is it always there? Is it just spewing out everywhere? Do you really know even what the spirit is? Is it just you speaking in tongues? Because it's not. It's supposed to be our everything. The truth, the freedom, the counsel. And oh, so many other things. But it, it's become just a little quick fix to make me feel good. And I've minimized the entire essence of God into me being able to speak in tongues. What a slap in his face. <laughs> we mustn't get content with still waters that used to flow and now are stagnant. So what is clogging your well? Is it sin, transgressions, iniquities, addictions, or just mere foolishness? Who is clogging your well? Is it others, or are you self-sabotaging yourself? Is it your parents or siblings, old friends you need to get uh, rid of, poor spouses that keep hindering your way, or is it just you standing in your own way? When our lives are not full of the glory of the Spirit, and we are not experiencing a flood of waters flowing, we are clogged. Remember all that the Spirit is it's truth and light, comfort and joy, guidance and counsel, freedom and strength. When these and all the other attributes of the Spirit are missing, it is because we often need to dig new wells and find a new fresh newness. Psalms 42, one through two, it says, a white-tailed deer drinks from the creek. I want to drink God, deep draughts of God. I am thirsty for God alive. I wonder, will I ever make it, make it, excuse me, arrive and drink in God's presence? God wants us to drink him. He wants us to dig deep and find The God that is alive. How beautiful is it to drink in God's presence? Imagine us getting to the place where we actually are drinking the presence of God, that it becomes so real and fluid that we can actually taste it and take it in and carry it with us. Will you keep digging until God appears to you and tells you not to fear? and that he will bless you. And then after you hear that, will you continue your pursuit of him and dig for more of the living God? Remember, after he spoke, after they built the altar in worship, they dug again. They could have stopped at that well. He said it was room enough. We really didn't have no more. We had to go. But there was some new water I had to find. We don't want to get hung up on people and their mess, but we must use everything to get closer to God. We must want God more than anything, and we must believe that he desires to have that intense intimacy with us. Intense intimacy. It is not just about God blessing me, but about me blessing God as well. Sometimes we're just mere takers. We just want what we can get from God. Give me this, bless me how, do this, do that, do that. But when do you give something back to God? When does your life become a sacrifice unto him where you can say, I have helped to bless God's plan? I want to give my all to God because he has already given his all to me. I cannot give him anything less than my best, because he deserves nothing less. So let's commit to God and ourselves that we will dig until God comes through, and then we will keep digging until he takes us home. That has to be our effort, that has to be the way our walk with God is that is a continual excavation of what I need to get rid of and what he needs to place in me. If my pursuit is not him, then why am I doing this at all? If my aim is not to get closer and more tied to him, then why am I even doing the thing? Why am I bothering to even pray? What's the point of it all? Have some purpose in your salvation at least. And if you don't want him desperately here, and you're not searching to find him with everything you have here, why do you think he wants you with him for eternity when you don't want him now? I mean, we think that he should just take us home because we got baptized in Jesus' name and got filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, and I stopped doing the obvious sins sometimes. He should just take me with him. He should just know I want to be with him. But why would he want to be with you? What are you offering him? We takers. And we have become so selfish with our walk with God. I want you to bless me. I want you to take care of me. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. But I never think about him. I never think about his feelings like he doesn't feel. Like he's not sensitive. I mean, don't you think he feels bad sometimes that we never want to give anything to him? That we just want him to do all the miracles, all the blessings, all the everything? Yet nothing in my life I'm trying to give something back to God. Well, I stopped sinning and... I don't cuss you out no more. That's a glory to God? Not really? Because really all the stuff we brag about, it's a good half of the population that don't do it. So what you so excited about that you don't have sex and you don't drink and you don't gamble and you don't do all the other little stuff that we find so, you know, that we can pat ourselves on the back about? That's to God? Then you're mad you can't do it. So that's to God? <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, what are we fooling ourselves with? Like, you don't know that. I mean, just honestly. So we've got to re-look at. <laughs> we've got to re-evaluate what's the whole purpose of salvation. What's the whole purpose of supposedly walking with God. We love to do the quoting of scriptures and throw out cliches, but really, what's the purpose? And it has to be far bigger than just to escape hell. Because then again, that's a slap in his face. Then again, you only want me for what I can give you. We must dig, a constant dig, and knowing that he is going to come through, knowing that, having faith in that, that he will come through.